Do you see the knowledge, the most intimate knowledge of, of God is always given to man in the context of suffering. This is, you, you recognize this, I know, because this is a teaching that is nearly cover to cover in our Bibles. The teaching that the knowledge of God, the knowing of God, not the knowledge, but the knowledge of God, only comes to those who suffer for Him. We see this in the life of Abraham. We see it in the life of Noah. We see it in the, in the life of Moses. We see it in David. We see it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who, who writes to us that book that we call Lamentations, which is a, a description of the most heinous and horrible suffering that the Bible has uh, uh, narrates to us. And in the very middle of the most horrible suffering that God's people have ever endured, Jeremiah writes this, His mercies are new every morning. In the middle of the most profound suffering, Jeremiah can say, but, but his mercies never stop being known. Or we could look to the life of David. We could look to the life of Isaiah. We would see it there. We can look to uh, Stephen. Stephen, whose skull is being cracked open like a walnut as the rocks are bouncing off the bones in his head. And he looks and sees Jesus standing for him. Or we can see this in, in uh, Lazarus, the story of Lazarus. Remember the story? So, John 11, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is on his deathbed. And we read those words that are, in, in some sense, so, still so very confusing when, when John tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha, so he delayed three days. He loved them, so he didn't go. And then he comes, and Lazarus, of course, is in, in the grave, and we see the, the suffering that is taking place in the hearts of Mary and Martha. Mary, whom earlier in Luke's Gospel, we were told she was the one who sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was preparing food. Mary won't even come out to see him. She's hurting so badly, she won't even meet Jesus. And Martha, we hear it in her voice as she accuses Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, if you'd been here. And then what happens? Before Lazarus is raised, there's that wonderful interchange between Jesus and Martha in which Martha declares, I believe you are Messiah. And I believe that he will be raised one day. And then Jesus says to her, Martha, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes upon me will never die. And though he does die, he will yet live again. Do you see the knowledge, the most intimate knowledge of, of God is always given to man in the context of suffering. So the question that I would ask 
We all see that in the Scriptures. We all affirm that. But the question we should probably ask is, why is that so? God can do anything, right? God can impart to you a knowledge of Himself any way He wants. You can experience a richness of relationship with God in whatever context He desires, right? Nothing is impossible for God. So why does God only connect with us in the deepest and most profound ways during times of suffering? And for me, the answer that comes in thinking through those questions that we always like to ask ourselves. You know the the what-if questions? Everybody asks these questions of yourself. Some of us can get carried away with these questions. What if my spouse leaves me? What if my children never come to faith? What if I lose my job? What if I fall and break my neck and I'm paralyzed? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, right? You know the questions. What will I do if? Now those questions can paralyze you. But there's one question that you should ask. And in order to know God like Paul speaks of here, you must ask and you must answer correctly. And that question is this. What if I lost everything but God? Is He enough? What if everything were taken from me but God? Is He enough? That's a hard question. That's an in-your-face question. Because the honest answer to that question sometimes can be very, very disturbing to us. What if you lost everything but God? Is He enough or not? Can you see that that's essentially what Paul is talking about here? As he says that I looked at all these other things, all these wonderful accomplishments, all these all these incredible benefits that Paul had, and I looked at Jesus and said He outweighs them all. Can you see that that's essentially what Paul is saying? Paul is, in different words, Paul is saying, I asked myself the what if question and I answered it, absolutely he's enough. That's the question that's at the root, that's at the base, that's at the bottom of knowing God in this way. We will only know God in the way that Paul describes when we can from our heart say, what if? God was all I had. Would He be enough? Yes, He would. So here's the thing. You can only ask yourself that question in a realistic sort of way, in a a meaningful way. You can only ask that question in the context of suffering. Do you understand that? That when life is going great, when everything's going along just fine, and you ask yourself that question, what if God were all I had? That's not a... That's not a question you can really connect with in your heart when everything's going well for you. That's a question that has to be asked in the context of at least something not going real well. That's just the way our hearts work. That when everything is going along just fine, well, it's really hard to probe deeply into our heart and get the true honest answer to that when everything's fine. But when things are being taken from us, 
when the what-if questions are real, when the what-if questions aren't necessarily theoretical anymore, that's when our heart really gets an honest answer. That is when growth occurs. That is when relationship builds. Look at your own life and you will see the same thing. You will see all the times of true intimate fellowship with God, all of them really came in times of trial or struggle or suffering or disappointment in some way. Because it is only through those situations that our heart can truly ask that question and answer it. We all are probably familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. Probably have heard that name. Another person who has suffered well for Christ as a teenager, dives off a cliff into the water, hits a rock just under the surface, and she's paralyzed from the neck down. It's been, uh, what, some like five decades now that she's been in a paraplegic chair. None of us can relate to that. None of us can know what life is like in a paraplegic chair. But she's lived now five, maybe six decades, because she's, I think, approaching 70. She's lived a long time in a paraplegic chair, and she's suffered really well for Christ. Here's what she said one time. She said this. She said, when she goes to heaven, when she gets there, she hopes that God will let her bring her chair. Not because she'll need it anymore. She won't. But she hopes that God will let her bring her chair so that she can go into His presence and point to it and say, Thank you. Thank you for that. Because without that, I never would have known you like I know you. Oswald Chambers says that it is, it is not in spite of tribulation that the saint experiences the joy of the Lord. It is because of it. It is because of it. A Chinese Christian by the name of Brother Yoon writes this. He says that those who are in prison, you can substitute suffer. Those who are in prison for the sake of the gospel, it's not those who suffer. It's the person who suffers most is the one who never experiences his intimate fellowship. It's also been said that God's highest priority is not to get you to heaven, it's to get heaven in you, which is the same thing that we're talking about here. The Christian only comes to the knowledge that Paul speaks of in the context of suffering well for Christ and suffering with joy, which is only possible by the presence, by the experiencing, by the knowledge of the power of His resurrection. Now, notice the flow here. So we go from knowing Him, knowing the power of His resurrection, to knowing the fellowship of His suffering, now that I may be like Him in His death, or may may become like Him in His death. Now what Paul says here, the word that he uses is is not coincidental. He uses the same word we talked about back in chapter 2, morphe, the outward form, the visible form that demonstrates to the outside the reality that you can't see on the inside, right? Jesus was in the form of God, and He took on the form of man, okay? So he uses that same word here in the verb form, which means to be conformed to, to be made into the form, to be made into the likeness, to be conformed. The same thing he says in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So here he says, in order that I may be conformed to him in the likeness of his death. So I think the help here for us to understand what it means to be conformed to him in the likeness of his death, to become like him in his death, comes to us back in that same passage in chapter 2, verse 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Let's look at this real quickly. He says this, Have this mind, have this way of thinking, have this attitude, have this heart among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, and here it is, to the point of death. So Jesus' obedience is to the point of death. And so Paul is saying, I want to be conformed to his death. I want to be conformed to one whose obedience was obedience to the point of death. Jesus' obedience took him to the cross. Paul wants to be conformed to be made so much like Jesus that his obedience is the same way. To the point of death, if necessary. Physical death or the daily dying to himself kind of death. The walking in the newness of life that means the old Paul is dead. I want to be conformed to that. And I can only be conformed to that if I know him through the power, the fellowship of his suffering that I experience by the power of his resurrection. That is what enables me to know him so that I can be conformed to be like Him. Now quickly we'll end with verse 11. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That verse sounds a little bit like Paul's unsure, doesn't it? Almost like he's hoping. Well, I sure do hope that I'm part of the resurrection. I sure do hope that I'm raised back to to life. That I may by any means attain the resurrection of the dead. So it sounds like Paul's a little bit unsure of himself which can't be the case because that would absolutely fly in the face of everything Paul says virtually everywhere else, including the letter to the Philippians where he says in chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to say a little bit later on, we're citizens of heaven. So Paul's not unsure. He's not doubting whether or not he will be part of the resurrection, whether he'll be raised back to life. What he's saying here, he's expressing in a humble sort of way his deep desire to go deeper and deeper into the, not the physical resurrection that is to come, but the spiritual resurrection which he's now partaken in that has raised Paul to walk in newness of life. In other words, Paul is expressing this humble desire to know more and more of Jesus, to experience Him more and more fully, more deeply. Paul is not satisfied with what he knows of Jesus. He's not content with knowing what he knows about Him, which was a great deal. But he's not content. It's like the more, Jesus, the more Paul gets of Jesus, the greater his appetite for Jesus. It would be like this. It would be like uh, going to the beach. A number of us have been to the beach recently, right? Y'all been to the beach? So when you go to the beach, did you get in the water? No? Didn't get in the water? Who got in the water? Okay, so you get in the water. How far did you go in? Waist deep? In the ocean. Ankle deep. Okay, so you... so you, Smart lady. So you go ankle deep in the water. Okay, and you stand there. 
for a while. And then you turn, you come back, and you say, well, I've experienced everything the ocean has to offer. That's funny, because (laughs) what could be more ridiculous than saying ankle deep in the ocean is experiencing everything the ocean is about? It's 2020, and we still, there are still thousands of life forms in the ocean we haven't even laid eyes on yet. We haven't even mapped all the ocean yet. And to say that that just ankle deep, well, I know everything about that. That would be like Paul saying, I've experienced everything there is of Christ. How ridiculous. Paul is spending eternity, as we will spend eternity, going deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. As as C.S. Lewis writes in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, when when all the the kids finally get to Aslan's country, and the, the, the mantra, the ringing theme over and over again is, Farther in and farther up. Farther in and farther up. Or actually, further in and further up. That's more, that's grammatically correct. Further in and further up. Further in and further up. Meaning, eternity. This will be a never-ending learning and experiencing deeper and deeper of the perfection of God. The being that we were made to be in relation with. Only, we won't experience Him in the context of suffering anymore. That's why John can write in the Revelation that every tear will be wiped away. Every suffering will come to an end. Why? Because it won't be necessary anymore for us to know Him. We will know Him without that context. We will know Him perfectly. We will never plumb the depths of of Jesus Christ for eternity. And we will spend the rest of our existence going further in and further up. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.